I am a fiddle player, first and foremost. That's sort of been my musical upbringing and what I really connected to initially as a musician. Um, I grew up going to fiddle camps um, in the Celtic music scene and also taking bluegrass fiddle lessons. And I just kind of fell in with that, the folk crowd basically, and really loved it and got deeper and deeper in it in different pathways, different bands and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I consider myself a fiddle player of the folk genres, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of hard to define yourself yeah. in that way. Um, and it's also nice to not just be defined by mm. the type of music that you happen to play. So I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> This is Brittany Haas. Brittany is, according to the people who know these things, one of the most talented fiddle players in the world. She's toured and played with many of the best, including Steve Martin, Dave Rawlings, and Gillian Welch. She is in an extraordinary band called Hocktail, and she's staff fiddler on Live From Here. I met Brittany before I knew anything about this music or the scene, and so I really just know her as a warm and friendly person. I started seeing when we both happened to be in Maine. I was stoked to move to Nashville, knowing I get to see her around more. This is Nashville Demystified, by the way. I'm Alex Steed. In each episode, I talk with relatively new Nashvillians about something I'd like to understand further. Then I talk with someone who's been here longer and presumably is an expert in that arena. Last week, we wrapped our dive into John Hartford, and this week, we talk about something altogether different. We talk beer. Later in this episode, we'll talk with Anthony Davis, who's an outgoing city councilor from East Nashville, who's termed out, and he's the owner of East Nashville Beer Works, uh, so we'll talk beer with him. He knows some things. Uh, but first, let's get back to Brittany. Oh, and Nashville Demystified is presented by Knack Factory, and we own this town. came here in 2011 I think yeah and then I was here for two years and then I left for two years and then I came again and what brought you here um initially it was a boyfriend and then when we broke up I left because I had to go (laughs) (laughs) kind of more his zone than mine and I'd been on tour for most of the time that I'd lived here during that two years so I didn't totally feel like Nashville was my place yet. So I ended up going back to Boston. Um, And then um, I moved here again. So it was kind of a band decision at that point to to all try to be in the same place. And Paul was moving down here to play with Dave and Gil. And I liked it from the first time around. So I thought it would be fun to move back. Just a quick note, in this case, uh, when Brittany refers to Paul, she's talking about Paul Cowart of the Punch Brothers. Um, uh, it is her boyfriend. And Dave and Gil, in this case, are Dave Rawlings and Gillian Welch. Primarily on tour with various different bands, because that's, that's the way to work hard if you're a, a professional musician who doesn't have like a, 
a recording gig or whatever, something that would keep you in one place. If you're in bands, then the way to to do the utmost in that direction is to just be on tour all the time and and record and stuff, you know, like further your band. But for a long time, that was just what I knew how to do mm. in terms of like applying myself to it. So I just traveled a lot and eventually started wondering what it would be like to have a more stationary existence. Like the small town feel, the climate, the southern hospitality kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. um, I liked all the people that I met in the music scene. It wasn't just a whole bunch of bluegrass, new acoustic type of musicians. It was like singer-songwriters and like people in rock bands and stuff. When you're in a world for a long time, you get to know it pretty well and you wonder what else is out there. Yeah, it's, that's been the interesting thing about being here is that I think when I visited a couple of times, I was surprised to find like there's like a punk scene or there's yeah. like, a, like a metal scene. Then there are people in like avant-garde noise metal. <laughs> yeah, I want to hang out with those people. <laughs> this is an open invitation. They <laughs> They'll find you, I'm sure, now that they know you want to hang. <laughs> Like I said, the format here is one where I talk with a new Nashvillian about a subject I want to get to know further. And in this case, that's exactly how we started. I brought a bunch of Nashville beer to Brittany's. Uh, however, she made for us some Toronto's, which is a drink that Cowart uh, has recently been enthusiastic about and has uh, been big in uh, Brittany's household as a result. So we touch on the beer very briefly, uh, you'll hear, but... I was primarily interested to hear of Brittany's perspective as a new Nashvillian and that she is sort of a new, new one, which is to say she's been here for a handful of years. She moved here in 2011, but you know, beyond being this incredible fiddler uh, with a hell of a reputation, she's been studying to become a social worker as well. And in doing so, she's exploring the city for the first time as a citizen and as an advocate and not necessarily a musician. So that's this sort of new revelation for her. So we talked a bit about that. During the touring years, I would often come home and have like five days or whatever and be like, oh, I want to volunteer. And like, so Google, Google, like, what can I do? And it, it would always be something that didn't feel super helpful. And that never felt as satisfying as I wanted it to. I mean, I guess it's like a selfish wanting to help kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. But so that was part of my reasoning for being like, okay, social work is a profession that's all about helping. So maybe if I like learn about how that works and what these people are doing and what systems already exist that I could possibly put myself into and then feel more effective and do stuff and get involved in the community. So that was sort of the concept around what I'm doing right now. And it's, it's cool. It's really opening my eyes to what people out there are doing. And it's cool right now too, because I started grad school in the fall at Tennessee State. So that's, I mean, I'm both here more and I'm exploring this totally new realm that is taking me through 
new doorways into just a totally different side of the city and the workforce and the possibilities of what you can do with your life <laughs> outside of music, um, which is just something that never totally crossed my mind before. Mm. That was that was just all that I knew how to do and, and really enjoyed doing. And then being here and feeling like I was at some kind of turning point. I guess the more you learn about a place, the more interesting it is and the more little quirks you see and different pockets of people in different areas and just like wondering what they're doing people that live over there and like where they shop and oh that is a cool little corner and I don't know just even just driving around town and seeing like where my internship is and where my school is and the, the different pathways that I take I get to see different parts of the city that I probably wouldn't have been in otherwise because I mostly just hang out in East Nashville where my house is and like the grocery store and stuff mm. um yeah, so it's all, it's broadening my view of what is going on here. And you, you can also see the changes happening when you're here on a regular basis. Um, so you're drinking a beer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me your impressions on this beer? I like it a lot. It's kind of the style of beer that I like, too. Like a light pilsner kind of thing. This is from East Nashville Beer Works. And later on the podcast, I'm going to have uh, this guy, Anthony Davis, who's a council member. And a uh, he owns this brewery, and he's also the head of the Brewers Association in Nashville, and he's going to talk about the history of beer here. Um, do you drink? You're not a regular beer drinker. Um, I kind of was before living with Paul, and now I get made cocktails a lot. <laughs> so I drink those, and I like them. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if I had a situation where someone's regularly just making me cocktails, I would. Yeah. I wouldn't drink all this fine Nashville beer. I mean, beer is great, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I spent years and years of my life drinking lots of beer yeah. every day outdoor. <laughs> this is a rich endorsement of a Nashville beer episode that's going to be happening. <laughs> You'll drink beer days and days until someone comes into your life and makes you cocktails. So what better segue to Anthony Davis? Uh, Anthony is a city councilor, and when I moved to town, actually before I did so, I reached out to Anthony and he got right back to me. We met up and he told me so many great things about the city and people I should know and things I should check out. He's co-owner of East Nashville Beer Works. Uh, He's the head of the uh, Tennessee Brewers Guild, which is part of the reason why we're talking with them, uh, to get a sense of what the craft beer scene looks like in this city. Uh, Here, Anthony talks with me about what's going on about the Nashville uh, craft beer rise right now. We don't go super deep into the history of beer in Nashville as it goes all the way back to the German diaspora that took place here in the first part of the 1800s. So that's a much deeper dive, um, and this very well could be a subject that we get further into in a future episode. I also, since he was here, uh, talked with Anthony about how folks in the city, new and seasoned, can get involved in local politics. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Uh, Consider giving it a review if you can or sharing with a friend. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Nashville Demystified, and we are on the antibiotic resistant strain of chlamydia that is Facebook these days. If you have any feedback you want to send to me directly, you can reach me at podcast at knack-factory.com. <laughs> so that is podcast at knack-factory.com. All right, so let's hear from Anthony. 
Anthony Davis. Most people know me as um, being on city council, metro council. So, you know, that's uh, a lot of it. But also I own uh, and uh, one of the owners and president and co-founder of East Nashville Beer Works Brewery. Um, so it kind of depends on which hat I'm wearing. But um, a lot of people know me in the, both those different buckets or they know me as both. And also I am the president of the Tennessee Brewers Guild as well. Um, so that's been a new role for me. Um and basically, that is uh, all the breweries in the state, at least those that have come together to form the guild. And so, um, yeah, currently I'm, I'm serving as president for this year, and uh, there's a board of five of us uh, with uh, representatives. I'm with East Nashville Beer Works. We've got a Black Abbey member and a Blackstone member here in Nashville, and then we have uh, someone from Wiseacre in Memphis and then someone from Alliance, uh, which is in Knoxville. So we've got a, a good uh, breadth on the board across the state, good represent, representation. And, um, yeah, right now we're at 30-ish members out of the 100 breweries. Hopefully this year, um, now that we have a lot of newer small breweries, we'll get more percentage and a higher percentage. We're really trying to beef up the guild and figure out how we can grow it. Yeah, Can you, can you talk a bit about um, uh, what the – phase of sort of, of of growth of breweries has looked like in the past let's just say 10 <clears> years <throat> like what what i assume that it's sort of it stood out from what had happened in maybe the previous 10 to 20 years mm -hmm. so just what has what has has beer growth looked like in, in in nashville in particular um it's been very fast and rapid the last even five years for sure um so for a long while we just had so we had the 90s sort of brew pub era uh blackstone is what we call the og here in nashville they are from 1994 uh when i was a freshman in high school uh we had blackstone here in town and we had them in market street brewing downtown and i think a couple others and there's there's more beer history beyond that of course the uh, nashville brewing company which is made at blackstone now you may have heard that brand name out there that was the original Nashville brewery name. That was an old distribution brewery we did have. I think it might have even been this area of town where you are in Germantown. And there's a whole history book that one of the Blackstone investors, his, his name is Scott Murdy, wrote uh, about Nashville's brewing history. So there is a rich richer history of brewing in Nashville with Nashville Brewing. And um, you may see Gerst around and, and some of those other old, old breweries. And, but in modern times, it really started with the brew pub era in the 90s. We had Blackstone, we had Bosco's, which was out of Memphis, and we had Market Street. Nothing else. So then another decade goes by where we just have a couple of brew pubs. And early 2000s uh, is when Yazoo hit. Um, and Yazoo started bottling. And that really launched craft beer in Nashville, in Nashville, if that makes sense. So we were, we had the saucer when I was, you know, coming out of college, which was around that time. We had flying saucer where you'd get, you know, you had a lot of craft taps, so you could get to know the regional and craft breweries. Then you had aforementioned brew pubs, but you didn't have a packaging brewery until Yazoo hit, at least in the modern times, in 2003. And so that really launched from there. So then virtually, I guess another decade almost goes by, by the late 2000s, maybe it was around 09-ish, that second wave of Nashville breweries popped up. You had Black, uh, Black Abbey, uh, Fat Bottom, Tennessee Brew Works, um, Jackalope, all those sort of hit in the late 2000s. And then it's been steady growth from there until this post sort of 2014-15 explosion nationwide. And so we've certainly had our piece of that of course, out west, things, you know, I think take everything back a decade, it was happening out west or in the northeast. But for us, this is sort of how it evolved. And so 2015 forward, now in, in Metro Davidson, I think we're at 
uh, slightly over 20, kind of just depends on who all you count as an actual brewery. And then in Davidson and surrounding, we're in, you know, 25 ish, or maybe a little more closer to 30, again, depending on who you count. So, uh, we went from, you know, just early 2000s Yazoo and brew pubs to now 20 something breweries. How, um, in your, your, as you said, said earlier, you're, you're, uh, a councilman, you are in local politics. Um, I'm really mm -hmm. curious about how knowing, uh, excuse me, I'm really curious about how the growth of this industry has affected sort of the local economy, um, what has had to change or shift with regard to uh, uh, local or state politics. You know, there's a there's a real intersection, I think, with craft brewing in particular and that mm -hmm. growth um, that goes beyond just sort of uh, market growth. There's a lot of other things that have to happen around it. So can you talk a bit about that? Sure. Government partnerships um, are certainly vital. Um, we have definitely seen a shift. I think first it was a culture shift in um, the citizen citizenry and the mindsets of people. Um, the old alcohol laws, especially here in the Bible Belt or Tennessee, we had were very archaic and very punitive and sort of you know not just not wanting alcohol proliferating nationwide. We're in this craft alcohol culture, craft beer, craft cocktails, craft you know spirits distillery. So that sort of shifted, started shifting everyone's mindset slowly. Um, there have been there has been plenty of lobbying on the state level. Um, there's definitely a back and forth uh, distributors and then breweries. You know, don't always agree on things, and the distributors, of course, are always trying to keep as much power as possible. So there's a distribution uh, aspect of that as well. We're in a three tier system, of course. And what does that mean? Three tiers. Three tier is like manufacturer, distributor distributes the beer, and then uh, retail where you sell it or whatever. Um, and, and there's gray area, though, of course, because obviously we have, you know, tap rooms and those are the kind of laws, you know, that have been pushed over the last 10, 15 years, like, you know, sort of giving us more tap room powers and abilities and things like that. So there's a there's definitely state politics. I'm much more familiar with the city politics as I've been a council member for now eight years um, serving out my second term. Late first term, I actually was really taking a look that long before I was doing a brewery, I was the craft beer guy on the council and, uh, knew, you know, was going to fat bottom in East Nashville or, you know, was certainly a fan of Blackstone and then just larger craft, um, around. Uh, and so I was looking at the zoning things and the zoning measures. And basically we had it where you pretty much had to be in an industrial zone to go to open a brewery. And I, it, I passed a, pretty sweeping law that wasn't really noticed that by that many people. But I mean, the people that were in the know were like, that's a big deal, but most people just didn't even care about it. Got a couple local news articles, but basically I opened it up to commercial and mixed use. And so, you know, even my own brewery benefited from that a few years later uh, and several that we have now that are just on a commercial corridor or in a neighborhood like Southern Grist or whatever, um, where it didn't have to be industrial. So you could open more of a nano brew um, or even mid-sized brewery, but it could be in commercial and not just industrial. We don't have that much industrial zoning. And so we were kind of getting away with that. You know, Yazoo, like, w w moved to the Gulch, for example, but I guess that one building they had there happened to still be industrial zone because it was kind of a warehouse thing, but it's right next to the Gulch. Mm -hmm. So since we only had a few breweries, it wasn't really illuminated as much, but once we started having more pop-up, we were going to be getting really tight on locations for these breweries unless we open up the zoning. So that was a big thing I passed at the city council level. Um, but there's been a broader effort statewide. The biggest thing we've done at the state recently, a couple of years ago, was change the definition of beer to 10%, you know, whereas it had been this arbitrary 6.2% ABV, alcohol by volume. 
now it is all the way up to 10%. So you can, without having to have a manufacturer, a dis, you basically had to have a distiller's permit to brew high-gravity beer. And so now we can at least go up to 10%. If you want to do barley wines and stuff, you know, you still have to have your distiller's permit. But it was a, quite a big move that uh, Linus from Yazoo and the Guild and others, a lot of other people were involved in, and even the distributors had a little bit of involvement in that. So um, all that to say, things laws have gotten looser, I think, because of craft alcohol culture becoming so prevalent. How would you describe the um – the beer scene here, and and like what 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 kind of beer am I going to find at, at uh, uh, more than one you know brewery? Mm -hmm. Like what is the personality of the type of beer that we have here? Yeah, we um, it's it's pretty broad. I think we have a broad range of styles. Um, and I think what's neat is you've got you've got kind of different breweries doing different things. Um, everything from kind of straight ahead flagship focused beer. Um, you know, think of the old old school Yazoo with like pale ale and, and an amber and a, you know, sort of like straight ahead kind of stuff to you're seeing a lot more um, of the new school with some of the young new breweries like adjunct, uh, very Southern Grist is very adjunct heavy. Bearded Iris is very um, hazy IPA focused. And, um, you know, we East National Beer Works, I think we're kind of uh, somewhere straddle the line. We like traditional styles, um, but with maybe a little spin on it, like our flagship's a honey blonde. So we use real local honey and kind of that, you know, uh, almost farm to table, but we don't, we don't, we never claim farm to table or anything like that, but, you know, just sort of somewhat adjunct, somewhat, uh, traditional in style. Um, and then you're seeing, you know, you're seeing, uh, Yazoo do funky sours, uh, mantra as well does that where they're actually doing the sort of funky yeast thing. So I think you're, you're seeing a broad range of things. Um, and you're just sort of seeing it one brewery at a time. Um, You've got some of us are more taproom driven. East National Beer Works, we're very taproom driven. We want to bring you in and bring community in. I think a lot of the new young guys like us, Smith and Lance, New Heights, you know, we you sort of have to be that. You want to get people to your taproom to drink. That's that's where you make your margin. If we're not going for volume, we're going for neighborhood centric, taproom centered kind of breweries. So even that's almost like a little niche of its own. Um, but as far as like the beer styles, you know, I think. It's hard to describe. There's no like southern. There's no southern beer. I wouldn't say. I mean, I think you get um, a broad range. I think you get. I do think you get a lot of lighter styles, though. Being in the south, I think most breweries have a blonde ale like us, or um, a, a light lager, or um, a like Smith and Lentz Great Pilsner. I, I almost think you have to have one of those. New Heights does a cream ale. Um, is one of their flagships. You, you've got to have something light. We are lighter palates down here, and it's hot a lot of the year. Um, you're from Maine, as I know, <laughs> and uh, you know you've got a lot of cold season. We have a lot of warm season. So I think maybe it hedges. I guess all that to say, it maybe hedges on the light side with styles down here. But um, we're not like West Coast hoppy, and we're not a bunch of New Englands. I think we're broad, but I think we may hedge on the light side. It's. I mean, that's interesting too because I. I think. Um I think that's an interesting way to stand out. I mean, especially after the past, you know, I'd say like eight to 10 years of what's been going on in American craft where it's sometimes it just feels like you're uh, chewing on, on weed, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I think it's, and, and you know, for the intro of this episode, I brought, I brought some of the beer from your brewery down to, to Brittany Haas and uh, cool. uh, we had some together and she'd said, you know, um, I said, what do you prefer for beer? And she said, usually lighter, which is sort of an outlier uh, mm -hmm. with regard to what's popular now. But I was able to go into your brewery and I found the uh, starts with an M. Uh, the Miramiel, 
which is our honey blonde. Exactly. Yeah. And then even our second beer, Cumberland Punch, is that American wheat style. It's sort of like Bell's Oberon, mm-hmm. as I was telling you. Um, for us, specifically East National Beer Works, we very intentionally led with those two light beers, you know, honey blonde and, a, and an American wheat that's very citrus forward, but no extract or anything added, no, no adjuncts. It's all natural. Because we thought most people, even locally, a lot of people were leading with their IPAs. Everybody kind of does have a light beer, but we wanted to lead with our light beers. Um, and they're Sean's, my partner's oldest recipes, and um, that just sort of worked out that way. But I saw it as a great opportunity because um, I thought most people were leading with a pale, a dark, or it, certainly IPAs uh, was sort of their thing. And so it was like coming out of the gate with two light beers as our kind of top flagships. Um that seemed very Nashville to me, and they have very Nashville names. So Cumberland Punch is, you know, named after the drinking water. The Cumberland River, kind of the the old school slang is Cumberland Punch. You're drinking the Cumberland Punch. A lot of the newer tap rooms or whatever, you have a place that bands can play. Like there's mm-hmm. – what are some of the side effects that aren't just like you're pumping beer out, which is a good side effect? Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, it definitely has an effect on multiple industries. It kind of depends on the brewery and what you're doing. You know, we – I know we're giving our honey farmer guy a ton of business. <laughs> I mean because we – again – our flagship beer is a honey blonde, and we even take a hit, little hit on that, by the way, because it's you know you can only charge what you can charge for a blonde ale, but we use all this real local honey and we put it in the boil, so it boils off. But uh, needless to say, you know he's making a ton of money because we're always coming up there. He smiles when he sees us, and we're coming with empty buckets, getting more honey. Um, and then there's a lot of these other breweries that are doing adjuncts, or they're you know. Um, Speaking for myself again, we get tea from High Garden Tea. I know uh, a lot of people, are, a lot of the different breweries are partnering with Olive and Sinclair Chocolate. So there's certainly a, a boon to a lot of ancillary businesses. There's um, you know a lot of jobs created, obviously within our breweries, but people that sell to us. Um, at the guild level, we're taking um, this year affiliate members, which I know in, in Maine you guys have had that forever, but we're finally doing it. And so you've always had all these people that want to sell to us. We have enough of a brewery culture now, I think, where um, people can exist here that primarily do sell to us. Um, it is not, you know, like our insurance guy, of course, uh, Paul Steele from Martin and Zerfoss, he sells to a lot of people. He does car insurance and regular stuff, but he's really created a nice niche. I don't know what percentage it is of his business, but he's got a lot of brewery and distillery clients um, to do their insurance. There's lawyers that are mainly beverage lawyers. Um, so there's a lot of... Um, different side effects and, and, and um, good economic uh, business to go around. And I think also if you think about um, those of us that are plopping in a neighborhood and I think you're – there's still some holes in the national market. It's not totally saturated. But I think as we grow as an industry, number one, you have to come out of the gate strong and you've got to um, have a niche of some sort. you got to brew X, Y, or Z that's different or just brew really good quality beer. And then number two – and or hopefully both, you also have a pick a great if you're doing sort of the nano taproom thing, you you pick an area that needs something. You know, like we don't have a brewery in Donaldson. I'm gonna go to Donaldson and create a nice little cool place for them to sort of latch onto. So it creates that there's also that warm, fuzzy community effect. And I think there's there's still some more areas that could use one and um, that also creates more economic development and that sort of thing. Yeah. What's your favorite place to go to that I assume is not um, – I mean this is a hard question for you because yeah. you're, you're, uh, uh, you're representing all these breweries. Well, I am part of the guild. What, what um, are some of the places that you just like hanging and, and, and grabbing a beer? Um, there are definitely several. Um, so I have 
what I like to tell people, um, you know, as being the East Nashville Beer Works guy, there's there's a couple breweries that I feel I call them like kindred spirits, or they brew sort of in our vein, or that you know. So I really like uh, what Smith and Lentz does. Um, I think we're in New Heights. I think we're all kind of kindred spirits as far as the way we approach. You know, we're not crazy adjunct, but we're um, styles with some adjunct, and and you know, we're willing to take some risks. It's like we might have a hazy on our board. You know, we were out of the gate early with a brute. Um, you know, they just come up with some really creative things. But also, Smith and Lentz has just like a dynamic pilsner that is just like to style, old old world, amazing stuff. And that's not even my favorite thing. I just love that they do that. I actually go over there and drink their IPAs because they're more like the kind of IPAs we like to brew. Um, love Southern Grist. You know, all of us sort of came out at the same time, so we're all kind of brothers and sisters in the, in the this venture. Um, they're more way more adjunct than we are but they're really cool guys and just really good people and they're always willing to help us out uh, and likewise us to them um, and then you know there's something I like about everybody though there's certain things you know there's a couple beers at Jackalope I love there's a couple beers at Yazoo Blackstone helped get me in the industry because when Blackstone started bottling in 2011 they shifted from that remember I said they were like the old school OG brew pub 2011 they opened this big bottling plant and um, we're all in on distribution. And at that time, 2011, we still only had like three breweries. And so it was, um, they took a huge leap and huge risk to get out of the whole, the whole brew pub world. And they kept their brew pub for several more years, but to get into sort of, um, bottling their world-class beer. And they have the most decorated Porter at GABF, uh, with the St. Charles Porter and have some really good, just old school beers. Um, but yes, you know, I start to get in my guild mode where I just like something from everybody. I like a, a few of Black Abbey's beers really well. And so there's, there's something I can find at everyone's shop. Um, but there's certainly like a, uh, a very kindred thing from the four of us kind of like latest, uh, crew and Bearded Iris is one of those as well. I just don't drink the hazies personally as much. And that's mainly their focus, um, is hazy. So, um, you know, we're all sort of the the new kids on the block, I guess. Sure, and that must be exciting to be. Um, it's understood that you're new. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, relatively. Yeah, two and a half around, years now. Yeah, yeah. Around for a couple of years, but that you're you're able to sort of make uh, make things with people knowing that you're new and that you're going to be introducing you know uh, new styles and, and ideas. <clears throat> yeah, and we um, it, it is exciting, and and um, we're excited. So right now we're getting back into package. Um, we're finally we're in the four pack uh, sixteen ounce club. You know the cool kids, and uh, I've I'm, we canned in twenty seventeen. I'm so pumped to be back. Um, just cause, and we figured out a model that works with these four packs and then kind of partnering on the canning line. Um, I really think we need more collaborations here. Um, that's one thing I wanted to bring up. We, uh, we've done a couple, we didn't, uh, I don't know if you, you weren't here yet, but we did, we had an eclipse here. We were part of that big nationwide mm-hmm. eclipse mm-hmm. and we did an eclipse beer with black Abbey and it was such a killer collaboration. We did a white stout, mm-hmm. If you can get it for the eclipse, it was like a golden stout, but it, it was like stout flavors with chicory and just all this goodness, but with a golden body. Mm. Um, with black, we did that with Black Abbey and Briar Scratch was part of that. Briar Scratch is a real small kind of in Gallatin area brewery, um, and that was really cool. And it sold so fast. I mean, one, it was an, it was for the eclipse, so that was cool. But I think people just were like clamoring for a local collab. Black Abbey's done a good job doing it. They've done them with us and then Blackstone, and then they've done one with Tailgate, I think, recently. 
Um, we almost got one together recently with New Heights, but then it just never happened. Um, I think, you know, and you see Southern Grist going around and collabing with everybody all out of town, though. Um, and I think Smith and Lentz may have recently collabed with someone local. I forget who it was, but I feel like we need to do that more and better. Um, we also need more guild collabs. Um, one, we're itching for fundraising and we discovered when we did CBC last year, we brewed the Mockingbird Maybach for CBC. Very creative, different kind of beer. It was a guild beer. And what did CBC? Uh, the Craft Brewers Conference. Yeah, sorry, the annual conference. And um, we Nashville was fortunate enough to host it last year. So we were able to raise money from that batch. So that gave me the idea, we need to do that going forward. So uh, as soon as we have an ED, uh, maybe even before, if we don't get the grant to do the executive director this year, um, I, th I would like to get a guild collaboration batch that you'll see, um, at least at the bars, at least draft. And, um, so that's cool. That that's great. Cause it's a, like a guild, it's all of us, it's all the guild members, but I would like to see, you know, us and Smith and Lentz or, you know, Southern Grist and Yazoo doing a collab or like a few more like local one-on-one -on -one or three brewery collabs would be really cool. And we had such a great experience with it. Um, we did one more after that. We did one with a Memphis brewery that was coming in for Craft Brewers Conference. We did a cool like hazy wheat with them, wheat ale. So, oh, and we did a rock bottom collab too. That was a hazy. So we're, we, we like to do it. Um, we don't do it as much as I'd, I wish we did. Um, Cause I mean, part of it is one person hosts it. The other person's just kind of putting their name on it, mm. helping on the brew day, of course. But um you know, it's still like mostly your beer, but you kind of just get to do some co-branding, co-mingling. You know, you might gain a few fr fans from them. They're going to gain a few fans from you and followers on Instagram, that sort of thing. So we need more collaborations. And that I think that would um, – I don't think people are anti-collab. I just think it's not – you know, we're, we're just all busy doing our own thing. Yeah. What, what is your – what is your favorite thing about uh, being involved in this particular scene? I know you're involved in a lot of scenes in Nashville, yeah. but w w with this one in particular. With the beer scene? Um, so, I mean, for me, it's just following the passion. You know, I love craft beer. And, um, you know, when I sold my web design company to sort of get into this world, that was everything for me. I just really wanted to... If I was going to continue on a business, I wanted to follow just a total passion. And so just being in it in general and being a part of it and just the community aspect and, and being able to, um, you know, drink my own beer at different bars and see my brand out there and everything we've built and created over only two and a half years. You know, we, we've we've been the 125th anniversary tap handle at the Ryman already under, with our Honey Blonde. We are the Grand Ole Opry handle. Um, we've had some great success. We're back in package, so we're finally on the shelves again. And you just like to – so cool to see your product on the shelf and pull your product from the shelf. Um, and then from the guild side too, just being able to represent everybody to me is awesome. You know, and I'm just trying to trying to get things done. Uh, you know, we've, we've been so stagnant the last few years as a guild. Um, we got the big alcohol law change, but – there's a little bit of unrest with just all of us breweries. Like, you know, we've, we've, we're a sleeping giant. We're one of seven guilds across the country that doesn't have an executive director or a part, even a part-time staffer, which if we could just get over a certain hump, you know, and we have someone there that's full-time, all of a sudden we're a much more viable guild. And um, so I'm really trying to focus and help um, the brewery community at large, which will help my brewery. It does take some of my time away, you know, and that that's certainly – you know, that's, that's that many more minutes you could be spending on your own brewery. But, you know, to me, it's worth it um, to help the craft culture in Tennessee. Yeah. Well, th um, this question uh, this is going to be one of my last questions, but the um, 
it's not about brewing. It's about uh, being involved in this community. Um, mm -hmm. um, lots of new people who are coming in. Uh, uh, lots of people who've been here for a long time. Um, sure. I've been surprised at how many people I've talked to uh, and and said I was going to talk to you and said I was going to talk to a, a, a councilman. And they didn't necessarily know about what's going on with the city council, which is not not a rare thing, you know, mm -hmm. city by city. A lot of people aren't entirely sure about how their city government works. But I'm curious to know your take on, on, on people who've been here for a while or people who've just gotten here, how they can become better involved uh, beyond just doing their thing in the, uh, in the community. Sure. We certainly need more involvement at local government. And that's been the case for years. It's not just all you new people, 85 people a day that drive into Nashville and apparently live here, uh, which has been the stat floated around for several years. So I understand it's going to take all those 85 people a day, whatever it averages out to be, uh, a couple years, I think, to get first, you got to get settled in your job. And then maybe you have a spouse or maybe you're meeting a spouse or, you know, whatever it is you're doing in your life. So to me, it's like, at least two years when you move here till you're going to even you're going to vote in the presidential election or something but you're not really thinking local politics unless you're just unless you're already were like some active rock star on the city you came from you know um so i think it's an adjustment for people that move here but honestly even before all these new people got here we have a serious deficit in people being active in local politics and it's really a shame and and several of us have done everything we can to like talk about it for years and you just if you're in the community more i think people know you and then they're so if you get engaged with your representatives i think that does help but um we just have a lot of voters that go out and vote for presidential maybe and then it trims down for state and then at the bottom is city council and school board that's the other uh, local elected body they have their own body that's extremely important so you know council and school board uh and there's a few other local things like judges etc but um yeah, it's 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 really an issue that I, I think we need to continue to work on. And what's really cool about Nashville, one cool thing, um, we're combined city and county government. So we don't have, you know, a county government and then a city government where, you know, instead we just have a, one big old body. And it's a huge body. We get kind of made fun of sometimes at like the conferences I go to called League of Cities because we're 35 council members and five at large. They're voted around through the whole county, but 35 districts. And... So that's 40 members, and then you got a vice mayor who's the just the runs the council meetings, and then a mayor. Um, and we're set up as a strong mayor system, but the having the good side of that is having so many districts, uh, and we have that because it's you know both city and county. You only represent 18,000 people, and so you have a much better shot of maybe knowing your district council member more than any other elected official you're ever going to get to meet and know and hang out with or whatever, interact with, go to the neighbor. You know, we're at the neighborhood meetings on the ground, you know, monthly with people if you show up. Um, and you can find us on Facebook, and you can email us. And, you know, there's, there's a million ways to get to us. So while, again, we don't have enough people engaged and we don't have enough people voting in the elections, part of that is because it's on the off year. Or they're on the odd years. Um, but still, we have such a big body and you're very well represented because it's 35 districts in Davidson County. So you ha everybody has every opportunity to kind of have access and say, we are the most democratic body, I always say, ever because we have such a big council um, for the city of Nashville. And, and what 
why is it important to get involved in that level of politics? Like, what what am uh, am I as a citizen able to change oh. or have impact <clears throat> on there? Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it's much closer to your life than everything else. I mean, we are your schools, we're your roads out there, um, your parks. Most of your parks, are, I mean, you might have a state park or two here in Nashville, but most of them are city parks. Your community centers, um, the sidewalks, the roads, though, the trash, the recycling. There's so much of your life that you interface with on a, on a daily basis that involves city politics versus, you know, fed, I think federal and city are the most important states, probably third place, um, just because it's like the in-between stuff. I mean, it's a lot of education because they do a lot of funding, but we we fund more your local school board than them, and we make all the decisions at our level pretty much on the, um, sc- on the school stuff. And then the state also does roads and infrastructure as well, but... Um, mostly we're the ones, again, who touch your life the most. So it's just, it's kind of comical that, you know, everyone wants to go out and vote for the president just because it's the big, the big high job and it's the sexiest thing. But your district council member is the thing that's going to touch your life the most. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking about all this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here anytime and, uh, always open to talking beer and politics. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. Take care. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Nashville Demystified. Thanks to Jesse LaFontaine for all things related to sound post production. All of the music in this episode is by Brittany Haas, and you can find out which tracks we used over at the website. You should know that every episode has a show specific illustration provided by my longtime friend Tim Burns. Uh, they're pretty great, so check out the site to see them as well. In the coming weeks, we'll talk about all sorts of things, uh, tenants issues, development, black history, queer history, comedy. Follow us in all of the places, subscribe on all of the feeds, do all those things. If you could leave a review somewhere, that really, really does help us. Thanks again for everything. Uh, National Demystified is presented by Knack Factory and we own this town. Uh, until next time, enjoy yourselves. Enjoy yourselves.